but, but quite honestly, I, I really wanted us to focus on this passage in Joshua. Joshua, you know, Joshua is a pretty famous guy. I don't know if you realize that in terms of church culture. You know, there's, there's a couple famous people in church culture. You've got Moses, you've got Joshua, you've got, you got Jesus, clearly you got Peter, you got Billy Graham. I mean, you really got like a, you know, kind of a wide array. You're like, Billy Graham was in the Bible? No, Billy Graham wasn't in the Bible. Uh, Joshua was one of those guys. Joshua was a faithful servant of God. In fact, there's a lot of leadership books written about Joshua. You know, uh, people talking about the generation of Joshua. Let's get us, get us back to a Joshua-like generation. And so we hear that kind of talk all the time. But you have to understand that Joshua is not just a leader. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's, it's a good thing for, for a man to have some grit. Can I just get a, don't give me an amen on that, by the way. Give me a grunt if you feel that deep in your spirit. Let me just hear a grunt from the men who have grit. Yeah, exactly. Home improvement. I mean, it's just a good, deep grunt, Tim Allen. I'm just saying, it's important. Joshua was a man with grit, a warrior, a leader, a man revered for his view of God and his law. A man filled with integrity. And he, he had passed through the waters with, with Moses. He had seen God do great things. Protect his people. Do great things. I mean, this is the man who, who led the charge to march around the city of Jericho. Any old school Sunday school kids out there? Remember that song? Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. No? I'm just by myself? Good. You and me, sister. We're the only two. Yes, exactly. That's all right. Uh, and coming to the end of his life, which we're getting to in Joshua, it's fascinating because Joshua's not perfect, and yet God was faithful. God is faithful in fulfilling to Joshua what he told Joshua he would do. In fact, Scripture says, as we read, that, 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 that literally not one word of all God's good promises failed, but in fact all came to pass. And let's take, let's take a look right at the end of Joshua's life. And to do that, jump over. If you have your Bibles, jump over to Judges. You can listen along if you'd like. You can look. You can read, whatever it might be. But in Judges chapter 2, we're going to pick up at the end of Joshua's life. He's an old man. He's 110. Verse 6, it says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to, into his inheritance to take possession of the land. Watch this now. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him. Okay, here's Joshua's life. This is almost like a movie, right? The man dies. He's definitely... I, you know, I, I don't want to practice some ageism, but I would say it's, it's fair to say he was healthy in his years, okay? He's 110. And, and, and they, they bury him. I'm sure it's this epic thing. And the men who had walked alongside of him and the generation that had come with him, who had seen God bring his children out of Egypt, who had seen God part the Red Sea, part the sea and they walked through, had provided food from heaven and had seen the walls crumble and all these things, that generation died died. They ended well. God was faithful to them. And he finished well. I think that we can say he finished well. Amen? Yes? He finished well. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's not enough 
to finish well. It's not enough just to personally finish well. We must be diligent in what we leave behind. Not just in what or how we finish, but what or, or who we leave behind. We must be very mindful of that. Yes, Joshua was leaving, leaving behind land that God had promised. Yes, Joshua was leaving behind crops and agriculture and gold and cities. But there was one thing, listen to me now, one thing that the Joshua generation and Joshua himself failed to leave behind, failed to do. Look at this in Judges 2, verse 10. It says this. And all that generation who were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. Turn to your neighbor, neighbor and say, another. Another generation. After them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Let me just read that again. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, which means they passed away. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You're telling me that there are, there, there, there's a, a generation of people who, who escaped bondage and slavery out of Egypt, who witnessed an army being buried under the water that they literally had walked through had gotten manna from heaven, had seen God do amazing things, literally the epic nature of Moses coming down a mountain face, glowing Ten Commandments in hand, and then what? Their kids completely forgot about what God had done. One generation, they had forgotten. Joshua and his generation failed to lay the proper foundation for the next generation. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Listen now, listen. If you fail to lay the proper foundation, you will surely lose the next generation. Listen to me, please, parents. If you fail to lay the proper foundation, you will lose the next generation. You will lose. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. You will lose the next generation. And then it gets worse. Look at this in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. By the way, it's actually pronounced Baal, and those are false gods. And they have been, by the way, Baal, those are, those are gods. Those aren't like, oh, they started going to a different church. These are gods they sacrifice children to. Baal is a god that you take your newborn infant and you place it in an iron cauldron in its arms and you boil or burn the child alive. That is the god that the Israelites turned to, who they thought, oh, this might be a good idea. And one generation previously to, to the, the generation that forgot about God, they're walking through dry land where there should be a, an ocean, where there should be a sea. You see how quickly this happens? Yeah. Look at this. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who had who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah, another false god. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was always against them for harm. And the Lord warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in, what's those last two words? Terrible distress. Terrible distress. Now, 
started studying through this passage a while back, and I found something very interesting. Upon first glance, it, it looks like we're reading about Joshua's generation and the generation that followed, correct? But if you actually study historically, and if you actually study through the text, you'll see that there's not two generations represented here. There's actually three. It's not just Joshua's generation and then the next generation. It's Joshua's generation, the faithful generation, then a complacent generation, and then next is a rebellious generation. So it went from a faithful to complacent to rebellious. And this automatically got my attention because I'm a dad. And one of the biggest things for me as a dad is I'm trying to watch out for rebellious kids. I think I might have one or two, I'm going to be honest with you. Just percentage-wise, it's probably going to happen, okay? But I, I, I think, I, so I'm always looking for rebellious behavior. And you know what God convicted me of? Travis, you're looking for rebellious behavior. I need you to look for complacency. Complacency. Why? Because complacency leads to rebellion. Complacency leads to, to having the Lord stirred to anger. Complacency. It's handed down. It's passed on. It's interesting. You know, there's a, an old adage uh, that, that goes like this. First generation builds it. You heard this before? First generation builds it. Second generation spends it. Third generation breaks it. You see this with companies all the time. You see this with businesses. A, a, a husband and a wife will start a company and they'll put all their life savings. You know, they came from nothing. Dirt poor. You know? From the hills of West Virginia, they, they move to the big city and, you know, they make it big and, and they're, they're growing, they build a company and, and they put their life into it, they're sweating to it, they never retire, you know what I mean? They're like 103 and they're like, I'm still showing up on time, you know what I mean? Those people. And then those people are about to die and they hand it off to their son. And oftentimes, what does that son do? Does he work with as much fervor? No. Why? He's kind of got it made. Does he work with as much energy? No. Why? Because he's already wealthy. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying oftentimes it doesn't happen. And so now this son, this daughter, takes over this business that broke their parents' back, and they just kind of coast. They're bringing in good pay. They're doing good money. They're doing their thing. To be honest with you, they've inherited it. It's the mindset of an inheritor. It's the mindset of complacency. It's the mindset that says something that was not mine that I don't deserve was just given to me, and I'm just stewarded becomes a complacent attitude, and then we see into the next generation. This thing that they have been complacent about their whole life is handed down to their kids, and what do their kids do? Break it. Sell it. Lose it. Happens over, and then the cycle repeats over and over and over and over and over. We see Joshua's generation, first generation, we see the second generation who did not know the Lord or the work God had done. Second generation. And then we see the third generation who did evil and abandoned God. My question is this. Whose fault is this? When things are broken, when there's rebellion, who's, whose fault is it? How do you go from everything's good, God is faithful, following through, Joshua dies, epic movie moment at the end of his life, all the elders, people singing, it's a beautiful thing, to all of a sudden, literally people sacrificing babies, God not going out with them, but being against them. How do you do that? Where does the fault lie? I would say, most likely, in my opinion, 
right? We know the third generation is sinful. I would contend that the fault is found between the handoff from the first to the second generation. Are you guys with me? Just give me a, give me a head nod if you're with me so far. Yes? Okay. I think the fault mostly lies between the handoff with the first and the second generation. Yes, Joshua was a great leader, but my question to you is this, who succeeded him? Who followed after Joshua? I don't see that here. I don't see that here. It's interesting because if you actually, if you actually begin to study and examine Joshua's generation, listen to me now. Joshua's generation, in fact, wasn't really the first generation. Do you know who the first generation was? Moses' generation. Think about this. Moses was the first generation. Joshua was technically the second generation. You remember Moses, right? Moses was the man who actually led them out of Egypt, put down the staff, parts the seas. That man, that man, that was Moses. Moses was a great leader. But do you know what made him the greatest of leaders? Was that he didn't just hand off leadership to the next generation. He, la- he handed off mission to the next generation. And because he handed off mission to the next generation, a mentality went right along with it. And so we see Joshua, second generation, with a first generation mentality. You, you, see, you see what I'm talking about? See, it wasn't just enough that Moses handed off leadership. Hey, Joshua, I got some stuff for you to do. Go get those cows and people over there and come on. I'm going to just come over here. Hey, uh, Joshua, read some of these John Maxwell books. We're going to help you out. Call me when you're done. Just shoot me a text. I'll be up on the mountain with God. You know, it's not that he did that. He walked with him, did life with him, informed him of the mission of God. That God was busy restoring all things. He engaged Joshua in the mission not just in the leadership. And because he engaged him in mission, laying a foundation of mission, what happened was Joshua began to lead with not an inheritor mentality, second generation, but with a builder mentality. I have to build this mission into the rest of these people. We are the builders. We are the first generation. We are taking the land. We are moving forward. That mission transmitted from Moses to Joshua, transmitted 100% intentional word. It was put into, transmitted intentionally. It wasn't just leadership. It was a call to a mission. It's important. See, the first generation mentality is the mentality of a builder. Listen, if you're first generation, you understand that you build. You carry more weight. How many firstborns do we have in here? Any firstborns? Yeah, a couple of us. It's hard to lift your hand after this many years of struggle, isn't it? Come on, just get it up there if you can, right? As a firstborn, you know that you carry the responsibility. You carry the family name. You're the one who goes first. When you go to a lake and there's a little bit of a lip on the, on the outside of the, on the ridge, you're the one who has to jump first into the water to see if you'll survive the jump. Come on, if I'm lying, come on. All your brothers, all your sisters, like, should we do it? And, you're like, you're like I, I don't know. They're like, well, you go first, and if you die, then we won't jump. You know what I mean? That's the definition of a firstborn. As a firstborn, you're out there, and, and, and your parents are figuring out how to be parents on you. They are experimenting on you. It's tough. But you're the firstborn. You know that. You take that. That is your lot in life. As a first generation, it is a, you are a builder. We are builders. But we know as first-generation builders that it is an honor to build. It is an honor to serve. 
It is an honor to carry the weight of leadership on top of us. It's one thing to lead people. It's another thing to lead people in the mission. And I want you to know for us as a church, what truly matters is that we don't just build. Can I just get this off my chest real quick? It's so important for us as a church that we don't just build. (laughs) We're not here just to build. We must build with mission in mind. I don't care if it's a a building or a teepee. Whatever we build will be built with, with mission in mind. I don't care if it's a program or discipleship course. We must build with mission in mind. If it's premarital counseling or we're doing funerals, we will build with mission in mind because we know that regardless of what we build, no matter how big, no matter how grand, no matter how many people show up at this church, how many things we do, how many miracles we see, if we don't build with mission, it will be forgotten and lost. I get so choked up sometimes reading back through church's histories. And I don't mean back, 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 back in the day. I mean churches in the 40s and 50s and 60s who I read about. And I'm like, wow, God was like bringing revival there, doing amazing things now. And and I look them up online and those churches don't exist. How is that possible? No, No, listen to me, church. Listen. How is it possible? It happens every day. And it happens when churches fail, not to lead, not to pass on leadership, but to pass on mission. Our mission is the mission of God. To seek and save the lost, to join into the redemptive movement that God is already doing right now in this world to go and make disciples, to lead people back to Jesus, to go into a lost and dying word and say, there is a truth, there is a hope, it is found here, there is one way, there is one God, there is a truth, there is one way, and we preach that, and we teach that, and we live that, and what you should know, church, is that we are the first generation. You are. You're the first generation. In this church, you're the first generation. But now we got some kids coming on up. What are we leaving for them? I'm not talking buildings. I'm I'm talking mission. What are we pouring into them? What are we putting into them? We carry the burden of building, and we equally know it's, it's an honor, but we're not building something for us. In fact, to be honest, we're not even building something for our children. We are laying a foundation. Listen, I'm almost done here. We are laying a foundation of mission that will serve for generations to come. Listen to me, church. As our band comes back up here, I want you to hear this. We are are laying a foundation of mission that will serve for generations to come. A foundation with a mission to plant churches. A foundation riddled with mission to raise up missionaries. A foundation filled with mission to train up pastors. A foundation with a mission to raise up elders and Christ-centered husbands and wives and a, God, and, and, and a biblical worldview taught to our children so that they can understand what they believe and why they believe what they believe in a crazy, insane world that says the opposite. 
That's the foundation that we are laying. That is, the, that is what we are building here. And so that's what's at stake. That is what is at stake. And so, yeah, we can show up here. and we, look, There's a way that we can build a building. It can be great and awesome. If we don't move ahead with intentionality and mission, I tell you this, it will all be for nothing in the next generation and in the generation to come. You cannot... You cannot not get involved. You, we can't afford to have you not be a part of this mission any longer. Do you hear me, church? 